The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. All right, Ben, it is time for another special episode. I love all of our special episodes because they are special, each one. This one is no exception. This is a special war story episode. It's not that special because we've done this twice before, so this is really the third thing. How special is something the third time you've done it? Oh, I'll tell you, we're raising the bar. We have not done nearly, not even half as many as we're doing this time. We're doing 11, 11 11? war stories. Yeah. Oh, my God. Strap in, audience. You have 11 war stories. And we're kicking it off right now with a war story from director of photography, Laura Miriams. My war story is from the film Pacified and uh, my film that I shot in Rio. And we shot most of the film in a favela. This particular day we're shooting in this like abandoned building in the mountains. So it was like outside of our like normal comfort zone inside the favela as a daytime exterior and interior and it had like a lot of the cast in it probably like seven cast members and we had squibs and stunts and it's just like a big complicated scene that the director of Haxon and I were kind of already stressed about. So we got through like the exterior we got through our wide master inside feeling pretty good about it and then all of a sudden we got stopped and everybody started like gathering around and talking in Portuguese translator came up to me and she was like um yeah we have to wrap today because assassins are about to invade this location and I was like is that a union term you guys have here (laughs) assassins I'll 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 be in the van and just (laughs) me and Paxton were like can we just get one more one more take one more take and they were like no we have to leave right this minute it's it's serious so we did we left and apparently there was an invasion an invasion I guess is when people come through with guns and they could like they're looking for someone production didn't want us there we didn't want to be there but we really wanted to finish our scene we went back, but it was night, and we weren't prepared for a uh, night interior at all. So my gaffer and I were just kind of scrambling around, making it work with a couple units. And um, thank God I had like this flame bar, so there was like a fire happening inside the building, and that became my main light source for the rest of the scene, for all the scene coverage we had. That's like the closest I have to a war story. War stories. All right, that was Laura Miriance. Who is next, Ilya? You got to tell me who's next. That's right. Cinematographer Seamus McGarvey of all kinds of incredible stuff. Oh my God, Seamus McGarvey. It's a great interview too. And if you uh, haven't heard the interview, please go back and listen to it. I'm so jealous that you got to interview him and you got a war story out of him. He's also uh, one of the nicest people working in Hollywood. I swear it's like he and Ron Howard could have a nice off. This guy is, this guy's, uh, you know, grade A class act number one nice guy he's 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 awesome so i'm hearing you say that seamus mcgarvey is a nice person he is he is like he's a genuine human being who like lights up a room and you feel lucky to be around it's like i mean you'd hope he lights up he totally does (laughs) well done ben all right without further ado uh here is seamus mcgarvey's war story i once had a, a photographic epiphany 
it was probably my first uh, and it's when I first picked up a camera, a film camera really I was given a, a Super 8 camera on loan from an art teacher at school where I grew up in Armagh, Northern Ireland uh, who saw some spark of, of talent in, in his otherwise dull student and said look go and make a little portrait of, of your town on Super 8 but prior to that I just had I stills camera so I was used to taking landscape format and and vertical uh, format portrait format uh, with my stills camera because I printed my own pictures I went around town and shot this what I thought was a lovely portrait of my town Armagh Northern Ireland uh, using the Super 8 camera and I decided to use that as part of my application for film school in London at the Polytechnic Central London but my epiphany came when, at my interview in the darkened cinema, start unspooled this film, and the, one of the first images was of Armagh Cathedral. But instead, because in order to frame in the two extremely high spires of the cathedral, I turned the camera, the super camera, on its side. So my epiphany was that cinema is a horizontal medium, not a vertical medium. As I sat there in horror going, oh no, you can't turn the camera on its side. My tutors wowed, thinking it was some strange comment on the fall of, of religion in, in Northern Ireland. And I, I think it, it somehow indirectly it got me a pass into film school in London that, that day where as the lights came up, my blushes had died down by that point at the end of the three minutes of that reel. War stories. All right, that was Seamus McGarvey. You're going to really enjoy this next one. This next person is a personal friend of yours and mine. I don't know if I met him through you or or, or what, or maybe from someone else, but you probably knew him first. It's Charles Pappert. Holy crap, Charles Pappert is awesome, and he's a good friend of mine, and uh, I love his work, and he's currently shooting Crank Yankers. That's right, a new season of Crank Yankers. Here's Charles. Somewhere around 2011, I was asked by Ben Garant and Thomas Lennon to shoot a pilot for them for the FX channel. Those are the guys who are the creators of Reno 911, and their new show was going to be something like Reno in space. It was going to be set on a spaceship, and it was the hapless crew, somewhat similar to Reno. Their idea for where we would shoot the spaceship rather than build it, because we were on a very limited budget, was to go to a Russian sub that's moored down by the Queen Mary in Long Beach an actual working sub at one time. When we first walked down there, it was so incredibly claustrophobic that I started to have a panic attack because there was nowhere to get to. But we had to figure out a way, and I thought this would be a perfect one for... As we walked through it, I could not imagine how we were actually going to shoot in this tin can. Lighting, I had to use very small units that I would hide up in the ceiling, so the sensitivity of the 1D Mark IV actually really worked in our favor. But approaching that shoot, I had to go after it in such a way that I had to make it like a military operation because it wasn't just where we're going to block scenes. It was literally, where do we put Video Village? Where do we stage gear? What, what parts of the ship can we be in at any given time? And I made diagrams for every scene where everything was going to go, wherever all the humans would be. We spent three days in this uh, incredibly suffocating space making a TV show that was actually quite funny. And then our fourth day, we emerged blinking 
in the daylight and went to shoot in the Arboretum in Arcadia. And Eddie Izzard played the baddie alien on the planet, kind of like in the old Star Trek. There was always some guy down on the planet that our crew had to battle. And of course, Eddie Izzard, comic genius. I was so excited to work with him. But we were trying to do a ton of setups. We were doing action scenes. And we got to the point in the middle of the day that every DP hates, where you can't control the sun unless you have the right tools. And we didn't have the right tools to do it on this one. So at a certain point, I had to kind of give up on the look. My only interaction with Eddie Izzard was somewhere in the middle of this, he kind of beckoned to me, he pointed two fingers and he beckoned to me. And I walked over to him and uh, stood next to him. He very quietly said, I feel the sun coming through the trees on my face, which was very astute and very experienced actor thing. He knew there was raw light hitting him, that we had already gotten past the point where I know my diffusion would protect him. So he said, yeah, there's raw light in my face. He said, yeah, I feel the light on my face. And I looked up at it and I saw that there was nothing I could do. And I went, oh, well. And he said, oh, well, I don't think I've ever heard a DP say, oh, well. And then in my head, I thought, well, welcome to my world. <laughs> and that is my Eddie Izzard story. <laughs> war stories. Thank you, Charles. That was a fantastic war story. I kind of think it was overrated. <laughs> oh, it was not overrated. Come and get me, Charles. <laughs> Uh, all right, Ben, I know you're going to be excited about this one because uh, this is one actually from the vaults that we have brought forward. And I happen to know it is one of your personal favorites and you say epitomizes the war story. It's Charlotta Bruce Christensen. I, whenever we have a cinematographer in and they have not heard the war story, I tell them about her war story. This one blew my mind. After doing the first movie with Thomas Vinderberg called Submarino, I was so excited that he had decided to ask me to do a second movie with him called The Hunt. I've read the script several times and it was one of the best scripts i read. Anyway, I'm getting all ready for it and everything and then I found out that I was pregnant. We'd spoken already about the style of the movie and, and I knew that most of the work was going to be handheld. I thought this is going to be a no for me making this movie with Thomas. So I get in the car and drive up to his summer house and knock his door and say, I got something to say. And he looked at me and said, you're pregnant. I don't know what it is, how men can just see without knowing. I for sure did not give it away. I, I looked totally normal and he just said, you're pregnant. And I said, that's the case. And I'm so sorry, but I'm going to be like eight months pregnant when you're shooting the hunt. So I'm so, so sorry. And he said, well, what's wrong with you? What? That's not an illness. I'm sure you can still do the movie. And I was like, sure if you think that's okay with everybody and he's like oh, we'll just get somebody who can stand in if something is a problem I think that's the attitude in Denmark is like you, you get on with it unless there is a problem if there's a problem we fix it but we don't have to fix the problem and if you're pregnant it's not an illness so everybody just kind of got on with it we went through the entire movie I never felt stronger we rearranged this easy rig so I could keep it all going. We finished the movie and here comes the day where I'm supposed to give birth to my little Vera and I turn up and I say to the doctors, I, I, 
I don't know how, I mean, I missed all the chats and everything that you have to do, the checks and things. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And they said, well, just do what we say. And finally, they say you can push. And I pushed and I pushed. And apparently, I developed so many muscles around my hips because of this easy rig <laughs> that I nearly killed the baby. And these doctors were screaming like, you're squeezing the baby, you're squeezing the baby. I was the worst at giving birth ever because of this easy rig and shooting a movie, but I can only recommend to shoot movies when you're pregnant because it, it makes you even stronger. All right, that was Charlotta Bruce Christensen. Thank you so much again. Uh, love revisiting that one. That one's a lot of fun. I, I'm allowed to have favorite children. That's my favorite. Nice. Go on. Uh, up next is a war story from Mike Delatore. Oh, Mike is awesome. Here we go. This is Mike Delatore, and you're listening to the Cinematography Podcast. I worked on the uh, Bond uh, movie, The Quantum of Solace, down in Mexico. Yeah, we were doing um, all the aerial unit stuff for that for that movie. We were in San Felipe, Mexico, which is essentially the the last stop before you could fly drugs into the U.S. And so they're they have a heavy uh, federale presence. So you know these guys are covered in. You know, it's 100 degrees and they're covered in ski masks because people don't want to know who they are because, you know, they could get killed as the cops. So what we're doing is we are driving a truck as close as we can to a mountain. Then a helicopter would come and pick up all the gear and take it in a net to the very top of a mountaintop where the rest of the crew was. At the end of the day, they would come back, right? One day we were going to drive out and we were also following a... Um, a tanker of jet fuel to refuel the helicopters. One day the, the the local sheriff was like, oh, you guys can't take out the helicopters anymore. And we're like, why? And they're like, oh, cause you have the tanker. We don't know if you have drugs in it, all this and that. You could fly over the border. And you know, one of the local guys was like, oh, what, what, what will it take? <laughs> it was like, uh, two bulletproof Kevlar vests. Uh, okay. And so we literally got them, you know, two bulletproof Kevlar vests, and we were able to continue to take the tanker out. Every day we were shooting in that at that place, we would get stopped by federales. They would make us take all the camera gear out, open the cases, close them back up, would let us, you know, walk away. But the first day we were there, I was the loader. They told me that a guy was going to have to be in the loading room with me with his AK-47 to watch me load the film to make sure I wasn't putting drugs in the, in the magazines. <laughs> you know, and I told the guy, I was like, come here, let me show you what I do. And I took him into the little dark room where we had all the film. And I'm like, look, I do this, and I do this, and I do this. And I do it all in the dark. And, you know, he's like, está bien. He was like, it's all right. <laughs> that was probably the, one of the craziest projects I've ever, I'd ever been on. And it's a huge film. War stories. That was Mike Delatore, and who do we have next? It's James Laxton. James Laxton. Holy crap! Yep. Here is James Laxton's war story. I just graduated from film school. I was um, working as a camera loader for a while. Uh, I was in San Francisco, and a few things came through feature-wise, but mostly I was doing commercials. And there's one commercial came through, and it was an Apple spot. And it was the era of Apple commercials where Earl Morris was directing them, and they were great. I remember loving them as, as watching them. They were really cool. Those like kind of white Skype sort of backgrounds and people just sort of talking to the camera about their love of Apple or whatever it is, what they did for a living or whatever it might be and how it relates to an Apple product. 
I didn't know how they were made until this day, and I was a camera loader. Basically realized that Earl Morris just talks for about 12 hours on film to these people. And so I was loading 1,000-foot mags like I'd never loaded 1,000-foot mags in my life. And I basically just like sprinted from the camera truck darkroom to the set, would hand the mag to the first AC. He'd load it, rethread it, while Earl's still talking. The challenge was to like basically have as little gap as you possibly could for the interview to keep going. And it was, it was literally just 12 hours of 35 millimeter film spinning through the cameras all day long. I was the only loader in the, in, on, on the crew and I was full of slices on my hands from the emulsion and a beat, beat young man at the end of that day. Um, still a fan of Earl Morse's work. <laughs> Um, but I'm very happy that he has now turned to digital filmmaking and uh, is less, it's less of a challenge for his camera loaders. That was James Laxton. Have I mentioned that we seem to have had some pretty noteworthy cinematographers on here? Jeez. <laughs> yeah, one or two. <laughs> and following in that grand tradition is Jaron Presant, who has one of my personal favorite uh, war stories, another one from the vault, and uh, I hope that you all like it as much as I do. This is an awesome story. Buckle up, literally. On one of the first jobs that I was ever on, it was this docudrama for HBO. I'm like the camera PA, and I'm, I think, 16 or something like that. They kind of threw me into the camera department because they knew I liked camera. I hadn't really done much of anything at this point. The first AC was kind of hard on me, but I saw it for what it was. Like, I got to learn how to be on these sets, so... We had a location move this one day, and we go to lunch, and... I go to the, the honey wagon to go use the bathroom, and the stairs aren't down. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird, but I gotta go to the bathroom. So I climb up into the bathroom, and, I'm, and I sit down, and all of a sudden I hear this, you know, the, 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 the engine starts. And I'm like, whoa, wait, 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 no, 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 no. And by the time I get to the door, the PCH is just flying by. I'm in the honey wagon <laughs> being taken to second location. <laughs> and remember, I'm 16. I'm like this kid. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm never going to. This is going to be really gonna be great. So I get to the second location and car parks and I feebly open the door and I step down and I hear the teamster go, what the? And I'm like, uh, hi, I, I, um, I need a ride back to first location. <laughs> and so they get me a ride back to first location. And I show up and walk down the set. And the first AC just starts ripping. Where the hell do you think you've been? Do you think you can just tool off and you don't think? And I was like, um, I, um, I was uh, locked in the honey wagon to the second location. And he just stops dead. And I'm like, and I look at him, I'm like, please don't tell anyone, <laughs> you know? And within about 20 minutes, it was all over the set. <laughs> it's good to have a thick skin, but um, it was, uh, and don't go in the honey wagon, you know, if the stairs aren't, aren't down. <laughs> 
That's great. <laughs> That's perfect. War stories. That was Jaron Presant. And uh, coming up next, a war story from cinematographer Don Morgan. Don Morgan, genius, legend. Yeah, you know, I did a movie called The, uh, the Rage Terry 2. It was directed by Cat Shea. My agent called me and said, uh, there's a producer wants to talk to you about doing a movie and it's, uh, you gotta go right away. I don't know how quick, but it's pretty soon. So I said, sure, yeah, I'm ready. The producer said, um, we have let the cameraman go. And of course my question was why? Cause maybe I would do the same thing. And he said, it's just not the right look for the film and he wasn't willing to, to change the look. The director really likes your work. And he said, the director really liked your work on the wall. Could you leave tomorrow? And I said, yeah, I could leave tomorrow. Uh, can I bring any of my help? No, no, you gotta go with the guys that are here. We can't just let go of everybody. If we have any problems, we'll talk about it. But right now you'd, you'd have to come back and work with them. And the director really liked your work on the wall. And again, I'm thinking, how did he see the wall? So that night, early on, about six or seven o'clock in the evening, I get a call and he said, can you leave in the morning? Anyway, I get on the plane the next day and I'm, I'm there and they show me dailies of what the film was looking like and telling me what they didn't like about it. And Kat Shea walked in and she said, uh, Don, is that you? And I said, yeah. I said, come here. So I walked over and she's talking to me and she said, I'm so glad you're here. I love your work and I love what you did on the wall. And I said, when did you see the wall? And she said, oh, years ago. And I said, I just shot the movie, The Wall. She said, you didn't do Pink Floyd, The Wall? And I said, no, that wasn't me. And her face dropped and I, I thought, uh-oh. I said, so you sending me home? And she said, uh, oh no, no, I, I liked your other work too. So I really felt <laughs> very proud. So that was my beginning with, with Kat. So we've had this joke going for years. She's come up with a couple projects she wanted me to shoot that uh, I actually was busy when she was doing them. So I've never worked with her again, but we're friends. But I always kid her about, if I hadn't shot Pink Floyd the wall, I would have never met you. War stories. Okay, so our next war story, Ilya, is a a deep blast from the past. Holy crap! So so long ago, you were at, we were recording at your old location when we did this one. Yep, yep, we sure did. It is Roman Vasyanov of Suicide Squad fame. Funny enough, my first war story <laughs> happened to my project and the watch in, in South Central Los Angeles. Uh, it was like a sunny day and we were shooting in the neighborhood in South LA. We were shooting a crack house, which actually was an actual crack house. And uh, on a certain point, uh, David Eric came to me and said, hey man, I want to move that scene from a car in a grocery store just across the street. Can you go like, check it out? Like what kind of lighting you want to use there so we can after lunch shoot there? I said, sure. And I take my gaffer, Chris Carlton, with me, and we're walking, and over there, it's like one of those mornings when electricians put lights, and it's still, like, not in a rush, so we still have, like, 15 minutes to walk in the <laughs> grocery store, and walk in the grocery store, and we come up in the grocery store, say, okay, let's put 18K over there, and then 18K, and then I turn around, and I see a police guy standing. 
and we increase like hey man like because we're so used to it, we should you know move about police was have police with us and then the guy turned to us like get I was like, what? Get down on the floor. What? Get down on the floor right now. And we're realizing that we're in the middle of actually FBI operation <laughs> in the South Central Los Angeles. <laughs> so basically we lay down on the floor and like it was like guy with a gigantic gun and they catch two guys behind the grocery store for drugs. And it's almost like a shootout started, but we basically were locked in that grocery store for like half an hour. And then they were being gone. And then we're like, okay, it's time to go back to set. And we show up like, guys, where you been? I said, well, David, we just been across the street in the middle of a police operation. So then I realized that actually, like the gangsters are exist, not in just uh, hip hop music videos, which I saw in Russia, they real. So that was my war story. <laughs> War stories. So for our next war story, it is probably one of my favorite interviews uh, of all time. It is uh, Benoit Dahomey. The proposition. I'm guessing the proposition was not a particularly long shoot. When we arrived there with the, with the Australian crew, I had chosen a gaffer, a very experienced gaffer, a very nice guy. And after a week there in, a, in Winton, in this small town, you know, in, in the outback, I remember one day the guy came to me and said, Benoit, I can't, I can't live here, I can't stay here, I hate the flies. He was an Australian guy, you know, and he said to me, oh Benoit, I hate the flies, I, I hate the dust, I can't do it there. And I was shocked, I said, this guy is my gaffer, and uh, you know, I could feel for him, I could see it was, it was too much for him. I said to him, listen, you know, I like your crew, we need your equipment. I want to make this film now, we don't want to replace you, why don't you stay in your hotel? And it's fine, you know, you, maybe you stay there in, the, in town, you stay in your hotel and uh, I will do the film with your crew, this is what we did. <laughs> this is what we did. And you know... <laughs> Wait a second, that's one picture I heard you correctly. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yes, Gaffer stayed in the hotel for the whole film. <laughs> All right, and so for our final war story of this uh, episode uh, is one that recorded a little while ago, and I'm glad it, which is uh, getting out there, which is Torsten Thilo. 2003. I was in Baghdad in Iraq during the war, and I was capturing sort of the war and how it impacted children. And um, I arrived about two months before. We were all getting ready for the bombing to happen. One of the important scenes we wanted to capture is actually something getting blown up and then the immediate aftermath. So they started the, the bombing one night and we were all freaked out and spent half the night up on the rooftop, filmed some of the explosions and then thought it's too dangerous. And we went back into our rooms. They were all like heavily secured and um, went to sleep. I woke up by a massive blast. My entire bed was filled with glass. There was a, a bomb hit the building next door and all glass windows had blown in and that's how I woke up. I was so shocked that that happened and, and so in shock I was shaking. 
Instead of grabbing my camera and going outside and film, I just walked outside. Like I couldn't hear and, and I entirely forgot to take the camera. The entire crew within few, a few minutes showed up and then something crazy happened. There was literally $100 bills coming from the sky like confetti. Like the sky was full of $100 bills, some of them burned. And we quickly realized that the building next door was a bank that got hit. And there was money everywhere. Again, we were so, so shocked instead of filming this, which we should have done. We just ran around like chickens and got the money. We just took $100 bills. Until this day, I have about a two-inch stack of $100 bills. Some of them are heavily burned, some of them not, and I just, I, keep, I still keep them just as a, as a reminder. We prepared ourselves. I went to a military journalism training camp in Great Britain for 10 days to get trained in hostile situations. We prepared for months to cover the war. And then the first bombing happened, and we all forget to take the camera and actually film it. Torsten Tilo, thank you so much. That was awesome. <laughs> thank you very much. And uh, hey, this will not be our last episode of War Stories. I can't wait to do this again. We're, we're still uh, compiling these. Uh, we don't get them from every single DP because sometimes our time is a little bit limited. There will definitely be another episode. Look forward to War Stories episode four at some point in the not too distant future. And for those of you who are big fans of the early episodes of our show, if there are war stories you think we should include in future ones, let us know. Yeah, reach out, drop us a line, let us know about this. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.